Hello and welcome to CIO Leadership Live New Zealand. I'm Cathy O'Sullivan, Editor-in-Chief for CIO in Asia Pacific. And joining me today is Paul Natak, Chief Information Officer at Provident Insurance. Paul was one of our CIO 50 in 2022 and has held several roles in a variety of industries from local government to retail. He's also the chair of IT Professionals Auckland branch and was once a contestant on The Apprentice. So we have lots to talk about. Hello, Paul. How are you doing today? Really good. Thank, uh, thanks, Kathy. It's a really good opportunity to you know, be invited to talk. And um, look, I've just come back from holidays, so I'm rearing to go to get back into work, but also um, share some of my um, you know, mistakes, but also some of my learnings and, and, and how, uh, you know, how well things have gone. Awesome. Looking forward to hearing more about that. So to kick things off, can you tell us a little bit more about Provident Insurance and, and maybe give us an overview of your role there? Sure. I'm proud to say Provident Insurance is 100% Kiwi-owned. All of our investors are from New Zealand or Aotearoa. Um, we're actually predominantly a motor vehicle insurance company and we do um, you know also warranty services or mechanical breakdown uh, we also do uh, loan repayment insurance so if you can't pay your um, loan and uh, we've got some insurance that can help meet that or what they call gap insurance if your actual insurance company don't pay up we can pay the gap of it uh, we do also do um, technology insurance so laptops um, when you buy something on PB Tech, for example, um, you know, we can warrant some of your hardware there. Um, that's the starter. That's when we, when I first joined, um, we've definitely got an aggressive strategy now. Uh, we were really reinventing our organization. It's really exciting times for, for us and also our investors. So tell us a bit about your team and I guess your role there. Yeah, sure. So Provident Insurance um, invested in technology quite recently, really in the last five years, starting with a virtual CIO coming into the organization. Uh, years later, um, it was really identified that technology is not something that you do now and then. It's something that is continuous. And so I'm one of the first investments, actually, um, a few, well, a couple of years back now, I came in as the head of IT. And then from there, um, really grew in the capability of my um, team. Um, grew in numbers, but also grew in um, vendor partnerships. And so, uh, yep, I am chief information officer now because there is more of a strategic mindset on how we're approaching things for the future. And uh, laying down this digital strategy for the next five years is going to be important for our business. And congratulations on that. It's great, it's great to see that investment and the fact that you you do have that CIO role now. So I just want to walk things back, Paul. And can you tell us a bit about, um, I guess, what attracted you to IT as a career? How, how did you get your start in the industry? Sure. It was, um, if you know, a company called EDS, they had a student day. I, I went to school at St. Peter's College in Epsom, and um, they had some careers there where you get to choose um, where you spend a day um, at a workplace. And, and I chose EDS. And um, there were two gentlemen uh, sitting in a boardroom um, chatting to us. And uh, one of them said, I spent six months skiing and the other six months working, um, working technology. And so um, that definitely was the catalyst for me to um, go into the technology space. And um, that's what made me uh, finish school, go to Unitex, um, look at the Bachelor of Business um, Studies and major in management and, and IT, really. That's where I kind of started getting the love for it. And then it just progressed to my first daunting role at telecom as manager of ops operation performance. Uh, I think I would have been 20 uh, years old at the time. Network outages, system outages was what I was looking after. And 
but at that time, they probably have a lot more Spark, um, 246 applications uh, the team was um, monitoring. And so um, that was kind of my first role until I kind of had some mentors and also got a bit scared too, actually, as a 20-year-old having to deal with so many outages and such serious things happening in my uh, in, in my work life that I um, – Listen to my mentor and they said, hey, look, for you to be a good technology leader, you have to be a good business leader. And so I started jumping um, almost every couple of years, managing business units, really, from from transport to retail, local government, arts, um, you know, uh, inform- TV infomercials. I even managed teams in there. And then at some point I went, okay, I think I've, I've had enough of business um, exposure. I'm going to go back to technology now uh, and see if I can actually enable from the pain I received because I've also come from the business side wanting technology enablement. And I found all this paperwork, all of this, you know, lengthy governance processes. And and I wanted to be on the other side of the court and and be an enabler, not a showstopper. So um, I love that. I I love that you've had that experience both in the business side and the technology side. So, I mean, has that shaped your approach to transformation in, 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 you know, throughout your career, having that lens from the business side, has that, um, I guess, influenced how you approach transformation? Definitely. I, I look at transformation as something that I actually have been seen to be annoying in some organizations because the organizations that don't like change, uh, mostly the ones that found me annoying. But then I found that it was actually quite a positive thing to be able to challenge, why is that process being done that way? Oh, it's because it's been done that way. We'll just keep doing it. You know, what value is it actually delivering? And then I just went, well, why don't I put this in the technology lens? Um, find So I'm always having to, even with my good ideas, I found that it's just can't be just for me. I have to find an owner in the business that actually loves that idea as well. And then they become the driver and I start taking the back seat. And so how I see transformation is that it really has to be driven from the business. There has to be a deep, deep need um, just because, for example, uh, before COVID, I really wanted us to go, uh, when I was at Heart Foundation, I really wanted us to go to Microsoft Teams um, before Skype, because at the time I was already, I already knew the roadmap, Skype was um, was going to be sunsetted and, and all that, but there was no driver to put Teams. Um, I When I tried to kind of push that through myself, I realized what I actually needed was more like the business to really want it and love it. And, um, you know, since then, I've just been doing that same recipe. Uh, every time I find something, I um I look at that and um I guess uh, a partner in crime um, to actually drive this confirm uh, you know the transformation and deliver the value. Um, so how I see it is actually always my childhood habit anyway, disrupting mm. the norm, and now I can do it in the, in the workplace and hopefully add value to the organisation. So talk us through then, you know, what what does transformation look like for Provident? You've mentioned, you know, there's a real uh, growth um, appetite for growth there. So so how are you tracking with your digitalization program? So the good news is um, before I arrived, um, there was already a little bit of a spark um, to invest, um, but the investment was um, not enough at the time. They needed someone to come in and tell a little bit of a story uh, around uh, what we need to do and what kind of sequence we need to do it, and actually even do it in a simple uh, story, right? And explain it in a in a better way. And so, uh, from my chief executive's point of view, I remember him saying, "I think I would have been maybe three months into the job," and he said, "No, I've never understand IT until you've actually explained some of these things, right?" And I, and for example. Um, I got asked, 
why do we have to invest on um, a budget on actually delivering resilience and backup? You know, and I explained that when we're already backing up us now. And so I had to explain uh, a story around or let them um, imagine a, a burger. Someone says to you, hey, Kathy, save that burger uh, for me. And someone says, yeah, OK, I'll save that for you for later. Yeah, sure. And um, but when I'm putting it in the freezer, the person that's putting it in the freezer to save it for you makes their own judgment and puts the lettuce in the bin puts the, uh, you know, the uh, sorry, tomato in the bin. And then uh, when you finally say two weeks later, actually, I'm ready to eat that burger, I, I say you to say, can you bring it out? And what you find is actually the bread and only the the piece of meat, really. Um, and so I had to explain to uh, the board and also uh, our chief executive and leadership team that um, what we have been saving, it hasn't in fact been what we've actually wanted in the first place. And therefore, there needs to be... Um, money actually put aside so we can actually understand what it is that actually keeps our business alive. So that's just another analogy, you know, sometimes I use the house for um, cybersecurity, for example. Uh, and so for me really is, is being able to um, let them understand in layman's terms and that allows you to put through ideas. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it? That um, storytelling aspect, you know, I've heard um, a CIO being described as an explainer in chief that, you know, it's it's your role to really um, drive it home to the business, what the benefit is of these technologies. And we're going to go into some mentors because I'll talk about them later. But one of my key mentors is um, he's passed away, which was Mark Denver. One of the things he said to me and one of our coffee catch ups is um, we're not actually chief information officers. We're actually chief sales officers, chief marketing officers, because every day we're having to sell our ideas or we'll be able to manage incidents and, and, and be able to sell that things are under control. And so we can actually implement plans. Um, so I, that's always resonated to me. And I tell anyone that I mentor or any of my team that um, every day we're actually selling something every day, every conversations we have, you know. So. Yeah, absolutely. And look, one of the areas that seems to be popping up every day now, and I know that boards and CAOs are, are taking interest in is, is, is uh, AI, generative AI. It seems a day doesn't go by where ChatGPT isn't mentioned in some form. So is that something that your organization is, is looking at? Do you see any benefit from, from using AI in, in what you do at Provident? Uh, the first thing is um, walking before running. Uh, at the moment, we've got uh, a big program of work. Um, you asked how our digital transformation has been going. It's been really busy. You know, we implemented data warehouse. Uh, we hired um, someone that will lead that um, capability so we can become a data and insights-led business. We've also um, implemented a learning management system um, that will create efficiencies, but also help us in our digital literacy. You know, and um, we built an intranet, some things that you, a lot of businesses find simple, built intranet, redesigned our website it was like old and dated and we put it on a new platform. Um, we also got our cybersecurity um, program implemented, you know, so it's ongoing because it's never, um, you know, it's never ending. But, and also digitizing all our booklets and, and all our, all our um, you know, uh, disclosure statements, for example, things that are really simple. So walking before running is what I call it. Um, and now we're going to our biggest journey, which is replatforming our um, insurance platform. We're moving away from a dev shop um, to actually consuming a SaaS product really from, from UK uh, with, with some trusted partners. And so that is our first step. 
the, the next thing around AI, though, is I can't be behind the eight ball. I also have to understand what's happening, but also our leadership too. So I've started, I'm slowly educating them around what chat GPT is. Um, some of our partners at the moment are also experimenting and integrating with them. Um, and so I've kind of put a bit of ice going, keep doing the research and that. I'm not ready to kind of talk too much about it because I got to focus on this year implementing this um, service. But yeah, no, abs- absolutely. I, I understand you're, you're, you're looking after the fundamentals at the moment. I guess in the same vein, then, are you looking across the Tasman? I mean, there's some changes there with regards to, I guess, fintech and consumer data rights and, and consumers having a lot more control over their data when you're building your data warehouse and 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 keeping an eye to the future while you're while you're building um, the stuff you're building now. Is that an area that you're you're kind of keeping an eye on? Definitely. So part of the conferences I attended this year, like the Digital First Conference, it was spoken to a lot, really. Um, that kind of start, started really poking my ears going, what is this all about? And um, creating this natural competi- uh, competition and, and more user rights for the consumer. It's interesting um, concept, really. Um, some of it aligns to anyway our base design, which is allowing um, any information that Kathy might want to be accessible anytime. Um, it's kind of like our uh, design principle anyway, just in case privacy, Act, for example, you might need that. But opening it up using APIs or, or such, um, so actually other sources can access and, and give that equity um, for a consumer um, is something that I'm happy that our new partner, which is ICE and SureTech, um, their actual um, source system has uh, and actually is already doing it. Like um, at the moment in UK, uh, some of the customers they have already um, linked to aggregated insurance websites, um, sharing pricing, sharing p- products. So a consumer like Kathy, if you were in the UK, could actually choose which one is the best for you and not just be stuck just because um, that's the only result that came up on on Google, for example, if the need came. You know, so um, part of the investment we've we've made is um, getting ready for the future. So this this solution is going to be API rich. Uh, we are, you know, in terms of fintech, for example, uh, there was a lot of talk around um, embedded uh, finance or embedded products in there. So if you've got some finance um, product that you're selling, you can also sell other products on top because you you already know who Kathy is, where her address is, what she's wanting to consume. So here's some other products that you can now consume without having to lift any more of your uh, fingers, and then um, so we are looking at making sure that we are future-proof in that case. So when we're talking about AI, it doesn't mean we haven't talked about it or thought about it. We are thinking about it. I actually use it on a daily basis, either creating uh, poems for my wife, or um, uh, I had to rush to do a job interview. Uh, we were putting a senior admin role in in, uh, in our organization, and I know how a situational-based question is run or created, and I could probably go into my Google Drive and find some more templates, but I was running out of time. I simply used ChatGPT quickly. And then of course you have to still use your own brain because worst thing is worst thing possible is you submit something or use something where the facts are wrong. You know, and um, and so that's what I instead of hide from it, I, I even gave a tutorial to our chief executive on what Chat GPT is, um, in the fear that he could probably put, potentially Google how how you know what strategies should my CIO be giving me and then challenging me on that. Um, I am guilty of making my developers laugh because I, I looked up, you know, write me some code on PHP that chats to JavaScript and Java thing that does blah, blah, blah. And then I turned it around. And I said, do you think that ChatGPT will replace you? And they just were shocked, you know, that 
obviously it can't because who's going to check all of that code and make sure that it actually operates who's going to test it um but we, we so we're not hiding under a rock it's just that um if there were like 20 things we want to accomplish i'm getting my team and organization to focus on our top five yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's such a fascinating area. And who knows where we'll be this time next year when it comes to AI and indeed the, the CDR and, and the impacts of um of that for for financial uh organizations or insurance companies, uh, as you've mentioned. So Paul, you're new into your role as CIO, although you've been with Provident um a while now. So how are you as you know the company's first um permanent CIO? In, in what ways are you collaborating with and I guess influencing the 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 leadership team and the wider organization. I mean, you've mentioned there that storytelling aspect. And what other ways are you influencing the organization? So when I first arrived in the organization, I actually mapped out who are the influencers. Um, before I even sold ideas, I made sure that I actually knew who are the ones that actually make the decisions or who can actually influence. Build some really strong relationships with them. So all I've done is once I had that under control, then I duplicated that across to my colleagues now. How do I do that? I um, understand their business and then deliver. That's the only way that's going to deliver trust. Yeah, as, as soon as I promise something, I need to make sure uh, I do lose sleep because I know that a lot of these things that I promise, if I don't deliver, that gets in the way of that trust um, area. And trust is what actually really works in the business and gets you that um, seat on the table. Um, what I'm enjoying now is I'm part of the strategic um, planning for, so we're, we're looking at bigger markets. At the moment, we're predominantly B2B or business to business. Um, exciting for us, um, I can't say too much because strategic, but we are looking at the B2C market. It's a, pretty big market, um, you know, but you don't just delve in there with technology. You have to have the business and the process first. And um, that's exciting for me and exciting to have a voice in there. Um, I am always in for uh, disrupting the market. Uh, we're going to bring in technology to APAC, uh, which APAC hasn't seen before in this insurance. Um, that's the reason we were really bold in our choice in ICE and SureTech and uh, what they deliver under the hood. We've also partnered up with, um, you know, uh, an innovative award-winning uh, company called Custom D um, to help us build our front our interfaces. And so uh, we're not here to uh, participate. We're actually going to be here to disrupt. And uh, it excites me. I, that's why I um, signed up long-term uh, with Provident uh, because I, uh, if you look at my CV, I jump every couple of years, every three years, either by job or by company uh, because I like to just make some changes. I, I don't like just keeping the lights on. And so this excites me where we're going. Um, I'm, I'm even my team excited they're, they're really from, from a team that were hesitant for change now they're excited not to know what's in front of them uh, and that kind of um, gets me going because now I'm starting to duplicate some of my habits around um, you know if you actually don't know something it's actually quite an exciting thing because um, you can help build it so um, yeah for us it's exciting we, we don't know um, uh, exactly what our horizon is yet because we're still doing the strategic workshops um, but definitely our, our technology is, is there. Um, we've also um, implemented AWS Connect recently. And so that, again, that helps um, our whole basis. Um, so if you imagine Auckland's struggle on infrastructure, and if you remember going to Japan, I went to Japan 20 years ago, and it was so lovely. Um, 
going onto the trains and, and the infrastructure. It's like it felt like the infrastructure was built first and then the city. Whereas Auckland feels kind of like the city was built first and if we try to build the infrastructure. Um, I'm really happy because we, we did this right at the start, you know, building the right solutions. So they're all in, they could potentially all integrate with each other. We've got um, chatbot capability and AWS Connect, but we just haven't turned it on because you know, got to get, like I said, the people process side of things first. And so I actually don't have any excuses in the next um, two to five years um, in terms of um, increasing our GWP, uh, you know, and then and, and how much we um, actually become prominent in the insurance industry in New Zealand. Well, it's it's a exciting, it's an exciting thing to be part of and an exciting thing to watch. And yeah, the fact that it's a, a Kiwi-owned and operated company as well, it makes it even more so. So, Paul, I'd like to bring it back to, I guess, the role of CIO. You know, it, uh, technology has been brought into sharp focus for a lot of organizations. You know, some have been caught short by their underinvestment in technology prior to the pandemic. Do you think the role of CIO itself has changed since the pandemic? pandemic? And if so, in what ways? Definitely. Um, I believe in terms of uh, the CIO role, um, it's changed a lot, even in titles. You know, you see the chief digital officers coming about now. You've got a few more heads of IT roles coming into play where the business kind of tries to take in the technology strategic aspect and then kind of almost um, um, then delegate the more technical task to the head of IT kind of thing. Um, so it's always been a battle for me to stay in, in that round table and say, hey, look, I can add value more than just technology. I can actually add value around planning and, um, uh, you know, restructures and general transformation that's not technology. Um, and so recently we had a bit of a change in our organization where our um, uh, basically, a head of HR and admin um, decided to resign after years of service here. Um, instead of me just watching it, I just put my hand up and I said, let me handle this. Let me manage the uh, transitioning. Uh, you know, they, they said, let's restructure. I said, no, um, let's do that actually once um, the insurance platform is delivered because then you don't want to be ripping the band-aid twice off. You know, and um, and so um, it was kind of cool. They saw a different side of me and then how I've actually implemented, hired some people straight away, plugged the gap really quickly in a crisis situation. Because um, we didn't expect that at, at the moment with the insurance platform um, implementation like this, we need everybody to stay on board. Um, we've got a lot of IP in people's heads and we, we need to get into that system. Um, and so that was a bit of a shock. So um in terms of the CI role, it's more and more you need to demonstrate if you want to stick in those um, um, C roles that you can actually give more value than just technology. Um, you can actually yeah, help absolutely. Yeah. yeah, definitely seeing a lot more of that cross-functional, um, of, you know, the, the CIO and Chief Digital Officer being involved in a lot um, wider than than just the technology part of the business. So um, what do you think are some of the, I guess, key attributes of a CIO when it comes to leadership, especially in this modern hybrid working age? What, what, what do you think would, uh, yeah, what are some of the key attributes of a successful CIO? Look, I think um, not having biases on vendors or technology is, is one thing. Having like a blank um, book until you actually uh, understand what the actual business really needs. Uh, I call it organic um, uh, uh, delivery, like actually delivering exactly what they wanted, not you 
trying to build your own ivory tower because I've seen even some of my own mentors try to build their own ivory tower, fill it up with 10,000 staff, and then you start to wonder, well, where's the value being delivered? Um, you know, what I try to do really is for, for purpose all the time. Um, I even tried to actually partner with vendors rather than create permanent FTEs because I, I remember what we are. We're an insurance company. We should be doing that really well. And so that also drives in where our strategy is around moving away from uh, development to actually handing that over um, um, to people that actually do that every day and then are experts at and have several clients that and then now you become a uh, another investor into their new capabilities. And then you can focus on what you do well, which is sell insurance from our perspective, for example. Um, so I think that's another trait, being able to um, you know, hover over and say, hey, look, but I'm not here to build uh, a gold-plated technology department. I'm here to actually enable. Because uh, I guess sometimes you forget, you, you start going to conferences and you see all these cool things and you forget that it's not actually making uh, your actual business grow or whatever the, the, the delivery is. The last thing is I'm, I'm really a fan of servant leadership. Um, I was never that way. You know, I I, um, I remember studying at Bay Corp and, and I got nicknamed Hitler because I'd be doing return to work interviews, back to work, uh, back to um, break interviews where you know and, and target things um, now i've really grown into being able to nurture my teams you know and and be able to provide tools um clear roadblocks um and and so um, i think servant leadership although it's been talked to talked about probably the last eight ten years is still very relevant um if you try to manage the other way which is um, kind of like i said the hitler way it doesn't work well these days um you know you, you get so that kind of resignation Tell me a bit more about that. How did you go from that, I guess, command and control type of uh, of management or leadership? How did you go from that to accepting that actually you need to be the servant leader? What what prompted that, and 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 how has it manifested for you? It's mentors. So one of my mentors uh, used to be a manager of mine. Um, I can mention him here, so you can I can probably forward this video to him. Is uh, Duncan Enoka. He um, he's actually the father of three of uh, Black Sox. Um, I don't know if they're still playing at the moment, but they were. And uh, I was working for him, and he didn't care. He wasn't watching what time I started, what time I finished. He was just watching my delivery. Is he delivering all the objectives I need him to deliver? Um, and then he's providing the tools I need to do my job, clear the roadblocks. And I think it was one of one of the jobs I performed really well in because I just felt supported. Um, I didn't care if I worked late at night or worked in the weekends. I just felt like I could do um, what I want from my lifestyle too. And so that's why I try to enrich anyone that reports to me after that. I went, gosh, I'd be managing people all wrong, you know, trying to watch if they're working eight hours a day, trying to watch if they're actually inside the office. And when, when I realized that even if they are inside the office, they could actually be doing a, um, a really bad job, not aligned to the values you want to deliver. Um, so that was the t- turning point, really. Um, so he can take credit credit for that and um i instill other um, so i mentor other people as well i instill that to them as well that you don't actually have to that's a waste of your energy and time trying to micromanage and in, in that level um you'll be surprised what you do if you unleash and actually um provide them with tools and support so is there anything else that you're doing i guess to create that you know good culture that really helps your your people feel connected both to the organization and and to the team and um i guess your values and 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 how are you keeping people instead of them looking for that you know new job every every 12 or 18 months how how are you keeping them connected so very transparent conversations i know out of all my direct reports um 
how long they're potentially with me. I know where they want to grow. I know where they want to go in their career. Uh, my main purpose is to keep them uh, as useless as possible to the organization for a certain amount of time that actually doesn't impact on our organization. Uh, so those transparent conversations really help. Um, I also um, call it organic packages. You know, so when when um, the tax year for us ended, um, I knew what kind of packages they need to be um, for me to be able to keep them and and no silent resignation. Um, so those those type of transparent conversations and opportunities. So uh, one of my developers here, he's always wanted to be a lead developer. And um, when when do you give someone like that a chance on a big crucial project where you're changing the insurance platform? People probably say crazy, but I said, yeah, let's do it. And um, but he supported. You know, I've got a um, lead lead um, developer supporting him, and also um, I got an architect supporting him, and also custom the the project manager there supporting him, right? Um, you know, first day, I mean, obviously, I have to let the chief executive know uh, that I'm I'm doing this. And he was very, first he wanted, then he was very supportive um, because I, I, I think that's the only way. Uh, live action is the best way I learned. So, uh, and it displaces, um, I get control of how much we nurture. Uh, I actually nurture failing. If you if you fail, I, I mean, what I mean is I, um, I support it. If you fail, as long as you learn, you know, and you know where it went wrong, and um, and we do it differently. Then I'm I'm all for it. You know, it's very supportive. And so at the moment, I had a meeting with him. I think last week, and he he so from the first day he lost, and because uh, we have work streams, we've got about eleven work streams, and he was leading it. The first time he was stuttering, and I had to chip in here and there. Um, today we had a status meeting with the whole project, and um, he gave his status meeting very confidently, and he's just starting to grow now. And I just reminded him that. Um, it doesn't get easy. You just become tougher. So each time you get something, you'll be like, done it before. It's still tough, but you know, I, I don't have to do this now. And so um, I think the best way as well is being able to give opportunities where you can um, and having a backup plan. So I was transparent. I said, look, if you fail, we've got a backup plan. Someone will take over because I don't really want to do, you know, um, this fake and I fully trust you. You're you're very yeah. competent. You know, you also have to be really transparent. Going, I know you're not fully competent, but we're going to support you. you you're going to you know get there, um, because it's also a way to actually keep team members understanding exactly where they want to go, and and um, not just by salary package um, or car park. It's also understanding how do I really? Uh, I use the word organically all the time. I just use it to say. Um, real not really just by political tick box because there's a lot of that that happens in organization where you just do a tick box to to say oh yeah i'm engaging my team um but that doesn't work you know, in the real world and so um i actually got someone that just so i got a, a, t- a team member that left the senior ba that went to uh uk but who replaced her well someone that used to work for me and he came over because he um he said don't advertise the job i'll, I'll jump in there because he enjoyed that environment where you can just thrive and um, just be looked at your objectives and be supported. Um, Great to so, hear. So that's what I do, really. It's it's um, and and um, the, the printer show you talk about um, years ago. Um, you will see there that I asked to be fired on the sixth episode because um, I'm all about personal branding as well. I just went New Zealand's too small. A lot of the people that used to report to me will see this is not actually me, and so. I'm actually just limiting my chances on employment in the future if I don't win, you know, because it's showing this different side of me that's ruthless, trying to get people that I know didn't actually do anything to for the challenge to kind of go wrong. And so that day I actually said, 
actually just just buy me um, because actually my branding and, and the way I manage people is more important um, than people watching TV and go, this is all bullshit, you know? So um, anyway, um, that's that's how I see things. I, I think that you really um, need to manage people like they're like human beings and adults and um, be transparent. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And look, you mentioned there about, you know, helping um, that person at work and and letting them know that, you know, things might not go right or, you you know, you do become tougher as as you go. Um, So what are some, I guess, the the mistakes that when you look back on, even though they might be uncomfortable, they really shaped you as a leader? Is there anything that stands out for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I I guess it's being able to... um, being able to um, know that no one is indispensable. You know, one of my biggest mistakes, I remember uh, when I was in um, uh, Bay Corp at the time, the general manager back then was um, Brian Jones. Um, I was a bit of a star uh, there at the time and I got a couple of offers happening with from Vodafone and, and, and Telecom at the time. And I threw it in his face going, hey, look, you might need to counter offer here because I'm going to choose one and you know and long story short he didn't counter offer and and um, I learned at that point in time um, it's not really um, it's not really about being replaceable everyone is um, I needed to work hard on my value um, proposition you know it's not good enough just to do a job it's being able to uh, understand how much money you can actually increase the company, how much you can, like when I was at Heart Foundation, how I can create value by delivering tools that will save lives. So it's depending where, where you are. Um, and so some of my common common mistakes early on was um, thinking my value was more than what I thought, you know, and, and now uh, every day, actually, I think about what can I do differently to actually um, reach the goals of whoever I work for. So for my organization at the moment, you know, um, Writing more insurance as, as our as our um, goal and having our investor returns as our goal. So every day I'm thinking about how can I save more money? How can I negotiate harder and take millions off some of our contracts? How can I uh, make um, a digital part so we can actually get more of um, a customer uh, segment that we've never had before? Uh, and so uh, my biggest mistake is I, I overvalued myself. Now I'm actually going, no, actually, I need to actually have real measures that show what I should deliver as a leader. Um, so, and no one's dispensable. So I, I look at some of these um, other people that I run into in the industry and, and um, just see how arrogant they are on their roles. And uh, and I'm like, I wish they learned some of my lessons uh, in the past where um, you have to remember everyone is very dispensable. So you have to every day think about what am I doing? Even like a 20 second elevator lift, if you were asked, what value do you deliver? You have to be ready, you know, and um, also to justify your team and what value they deliver. So um, that's what I learned. Um, no one is indispensable. Everyone is actually replaceable. So talking more about the team then, you know, um, another factor in successful teams is diverse teams. And, you know, New Zealand does have a problem. You know, it it is, you know, has traditionally been very male, very white, very Pakia. It is changing but um, perhaps not at the level of some other industries. Are there any things that you have learned along the way, um, I guess, in in opening up IT to a variety of communities, different ways of thinking? What can we do on a practical level as an industry to attract people from, from different walks of life to consider IT as a career? Yeah, definitely. It's a 
it's a loaded subject, isn't it? It's something that um, uh, because when I was young, I actually used to play rugby at uh, Marist and Pamuel, and um, I can only remember one person in the technology industry uh, there. Um, and then more recently, as part of um, the uh, chairman for the Auckland um, ITPNZ, I get invited to different workshops to really promote from a more Maori and Pacific Islanders. And um, what I find is um, uh, a recent workshop I attended at Auckland University. They they were um, they had no role models, uh, you know, to, to look up to. They thought that technology is quite impossible. Um, even even as simple as because we we had some. Um, they, broke us up into groups and each group had a couple of professionals helping them do the presentation. Even as simple as actually presenting something professional or acting professional, they struggle with, you know, um, and um, I don't blame them because they didn't have the mentoring as I had. You know, I I also had a, um, the GM of Bay Corp, Victor, when I was younger, had had earrings on and and I um, I, I said bro a lot and, and you know and he, he put me under his wing saying how I should behave how I should take off take up golf meet um, different people you know but not everyone's lucky to run across um, someone like that to actually help them and so I really think it's similar to that um, EDS experience I had um, we really need to go to grassroots really um, so when I was at the Heart Foundation we were um uh, implementing a consumer-based um, heart um, health measurement tool. And I remember um, we started at Heinz Watties and uh, we had the Heart Foundation van and they were going inside there. And a lot of them didn't want to do the test until I, I said, hey, I used to play uh, rugby and I changed my accent a little bit. like, um, you know, oh yeah, bro, oh, you know. And um, my work colleagues were like, what is he doing? But then a lot of them kind of put down their guards, they wanted to do the test. And I think that we need to do the same in terms of uh, promoting technology roles and the career in, in some schools and um, getting into more grassroots and um, getting more people, um, maybe potentially like myself or some other colleagues that are Pacific Island or Maori or, 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 or in, the, in the minority um, to spend some time in schools to show them that they're, they're not just roles around coding. They're not just um, roles around um what are the more complex ones? Uh, maybe Agile, uh, Scrum Master. There are things like relationship management, uh, things where you're using different aspects of your skills, not just mathematics and science. Um, so I don't think they are aware of that, that there's several roles that you can actually get into to get into the technology space. So I really think that we need to do more there. Um, we are doing a little bit in ITP ar around that. Um, getting mentors in contact and, and also getting into schools. Um, but I think the coordinated effort is what's missing. We've got different um, organizations trying to do different things here and there. Um, yeah, so we, I, I already think there's, there needs to be some coordination so we can actually get things changing. Um, mm. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's such a just such a massive area. And, it, you know, it is, as you say, it's great to see the initiatives um, that are happening, but perhaps a more coordinated approach in, in some cases. So look, Paul, you've mentioned quite a few times, um, you know, you, you've, you've had a variety of mentors in your career, which I love to hear. What is some, uh, I guess, the best career advice you've received? Um, or alternatively, you know, what advice would you give to someone who is aspiring to be a CIO or an IT leader? I think um, definitely uh, I am a fan of um that movie uh, that Will Smith was in. Um, but basically, he sees someone with a Ferrari and just goes straight to his door. Uh, or pursuit of happiness, I believe. You know, and just ask that person, 
how did you get that car? Well, what do you do? Kind of thing. Um, that's all I've done, really. I filled myself up with um, a few mentors. Um, ensured that I, I, I um, stayed humble, that I don't know everything. Um, and, um, you know, I, for example, the mentors, I, I, I knocked on every door. There's, there's people in even my network now that probably realized now that they said no to me. And, and I, I felt no shame. I asked, could you mentor me? And these people just don't have time. So what I do now is when someone asks me, I, I put aside time. You know, it, just, it might not be tomorrow, it might not be in two weeks, but I do put aside time because I remember some of the doors that closed uh, in front of me. Um, but then I do remember some of the cool ones as well. Like uh, I've got one, um, you know, CIO of United Nations that helped me. Uh, I've got um, a foundation in Canada that spent time um, talking to me. And so, um, but there were a few doors closed. So my advice is um, for jobs, uh, for mentoring, for anything in, in, in your career, there's going to be plenty of doors closed. Um, keep knocking because um, they will open and keep that confidence up because um, at the end of the day, um, it's, it's, it's like golf. Uh, you should only be challenging yourself. You know, don't look at what's happening next to you. Just, just do what you do well, and and um, and be true to yourself. You know, if you deliver natural value to an organization, people will knock on your door. Like I actually, the last three roles I've had, um, they're from shorter taps, really. So, uh, the job I got at Rivera, and then the job I got at Half Foundation, and then this one, um, they were actually um, introductions. Um, you know, and so, um, and I'll ho I'm hoping that continues on where um, I can actually just get an introduction because they know what value I deliver. And, and I so guess I love that. Keep knocking, and eventually they come knocking on your door. <laughs> definitely, and, and, definitely. Yeah. And, and that's happened now, and I've seen the change uh, in people. Um, but uh, no, I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna. Um, uh, lie. I've changed my behavior on people that are knocking on my door really a lot more opening now to, to to help out because I remember that experience of someone asking you and then either getting ghosted or 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 or, or just not being you know and, or, or being given a response that's un, unreasonable like six months time or something you know I'm just like well okay um you know so um I, I definitely learned from that and trying to use it in a positive manner Great, great. So then, finally, Paul, um, you know, you've mentioned there you've got it. You've got a lot of work on your plate. And um, what what's important to you in the months ahead? So months ahead, really, my team is involved in um, enabling our business, our um, CFO and her team around her for 17. It's basically some regulation on how we report and, and also manage what we put aside as reserves so we can pay out if we need to. Um, it's the most simple way I could probably explain. And um, that really needs to be delivered or else we can't actually exist. So it's a priority for my team. And then the secondary one is um, this insurance platform. This is um, due to unlock all of our potential um, and also increase um, our revenue or GWP. Um, and then it unlocks a bigger future for us. You know, like I said, um, I'm trying to not get excited. Let's walk first, implement this well. And then, um, you know, but obviously we're planning. Uh, I'm quite excited, but I'm trying to get my team to make sure we keep the eye on the price. Because um, every day there's issues, you know, it's, it's a massive undertaking, you know, from just the migration to um, the new technologies that we're undertaking to um, our existing um, customers having the change management done upon them. So they, they, it's a new portal that they're accessing. Um, that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of detail. Eleven Workstream is is quite a busy um, situation for us. Um, so that's my focus, um, really. And um, 
no more holidays. I've had my gallivanting in the sunshine the last three weeks. Um, so hopefully when we talk in uh, November, December, I can tell you it was, it was a success. And uh, now we can get to the sexy stuff like AI and um, automation and um, all the buzzwords that's happening out there at the moment. Wonderful. Well, in the meantime, we wish you and the team at Provident Insurance all the best with the, the months ahead. Paul Natak, Chief Information Officer at Provident Insurance, thank you so much for your time Thanks, today. Thanks, Kathy, for the opportunity again. Thank you.